Praise the Lord. Good morning, saints. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, in the beginning there, verse 1. And the title of the message this morning will be, Be Merciful, as Your Heavenly Father is Merciful. to start reading here in verse 1. <clears throat> Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, there's a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't come to this world to condemn it. You came as a light. You came to convict men of sin. You came so that all would come to repentance and turn to you and receive the mercy and the forgiveness that it's your heart to give. Because you're not a God who condemns. You don't desire that any would perish. And your light came into the world to expose darkness so that men would turn to you, Lord. I thank you that you shone that light in my own heart many years ago. You continue to shine it. You've never condemned me. You've always drawn me to you. And I thank you, Lord, for the mercy you've had in my life. I thank you for the light that came to me in the reality of the cross and what you did for me. And Lord, I pray as we look at this topic of judging, Lord, you would help us first and foremost to see ourselves in the light and truth of your word and to see others as you see them, to walk as you walk, to give what's been given to us, Lord. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would draw them. I pray you will open up their heart, open up their understanding to know you, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit do his convicting work so that they can turn to you and have mercy. Help anyone here, Lord, that has fallen into the trap of religion that has fallen into the trap of believing somehow there's righteousness to be found in ourselves. God, help us all, like Rose prayed, to come into our rightful place before you so that we can be that same kind of light that you were when you came into the world. Not to condemn, but that so men and women and children would come to know the truth, would find repentance, and would find the mercy that you're offering them through the work of the cross. So God, help me to convey your heart this morning. Holy Spirit, speak to all of us. Help us to hear what you are saying to us, Lord, and help us to respond to what you're saying. And Lord, I thank you and I trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Judge not that you may not be judged. And that term judge, it's used in more than one sense uh, in the Word of God. But Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, is pretty specific in what 
he's dealing with. And he's really coming at the spiritual pride in his day of the religious leaders who were very hard on people uh, with the truth and then also traditions and their own opinions of what was right and wrong. Um, Jesus put it this way, they strained at a gnat and would swallow a camel. And that's what religion does. That's what a self-righteous spirit does. So that's really what Jesus is dealing with here. And what we're going to see, what he's really getting at is go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not interested in what you look like outwardly, how you act outwardly to everybody else. But if you are professing to be mine, if you have encountered the living God, if you have experienced the mercy of God, there should be something different on the inside. There should be an outworking, a flow in your life of what I have done for you to other people. And if that's not so, then you're merely a whitewashed tomb like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And so he's helping us. <laughs> Again, this whole Sermon on the Mount really is an examination of our inner life. It's helping us look at the inner man rather than the outer. Because that's where God looks. So let's keep that in mind as we're talking about this subject of judging. And I want to remind us, we're not being told not to judge. And we went over that last week a little bit. We're going to see in this whole chapter 7, as we go through it in the weeks or possibly months to come, that there are many ways we are to judge things. But the reality of what Jesus is talking about here is the spirit we do it in. That's what he's getting at. He's basically prohibiting a rash, unloving judgment. A fault-finding spirit. A disposition to condemn people. In other words, there's no mercy, there's no grace extended to people when we see the speck or the blemish in their life. And, you know, this whole idea of judging is really uh, something very important and something that has really been lost in the church, mainly because this whole idea of the fear of the Lord and godliness somehow or another has gotten lost in the modern church. And it's due because our failure to realize the scriptural teaching with regard to judgment. I shared this last week. We're always in the process of being judged. Day by day. Because we're being prepared for a final judgment. Everyone's going to stand before the living God one day. Paul said everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And as Christian people, we should do everything with that idea utmost in our minds, remembering we're going to have to render an account of our lives. What did we do with what God has given to us? Mainly mercy. That's the controlling theme, again, in this chapter. And Jesus handles it in different ways, leading up to the great climax at the end, right, of the two houses. One that stands, one that doesn't stand. One that's founded on the rock, one that's founded on the sand. And it all is determined by how I respond to the words of Jesus. They represent two men listening to the words of Jesus. One who puts them into practice one who does not. One who understands that God's will is mercy. And one who doesn't understand that. So he says here in verse 2, 
with the judgment you use, you're going to be judged. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. In other words, unkind judgment of others will be judiciously, by God, be returned back to you. I'm going to read a quote. This is from the Mercy Studies, uh, written by a man named Rex Andrews. And he gives a little commentary here on Matthew 7. He says, this is so serious a matter that it would seem as though all Christians would be overwhelmingly concerned with these words. But quite the contrary seems the fact. Seems to be the fact. These words are so quickly and easily forgotten by many. And the reason is the human heart is a judgment seat before which everyone passes who is seen or thought of. All day long, you're sitting as judge in the court of your unseen heart. Unseen, that is, to men. Judging others ceaselessly all day long. Day by day, sometimes by night, you're judging, judging, measuring everyone and everything. You don't always need full and sufficient evidence because you love yourself and in that self-love you think you know. You judge by whims and feelings and fancies by what you like, what you don't like. You are the center. Your judgment is according to what people do or do not do in your favor for your glory, for your satisfaction. You judge by appearance. And so they judge Jesus and crucified him to death, the guiltless one. Why? Because they didn't understand one thing, which is the true, the, the true knowledge of God, which is mercy. I will mercy. And you will do likewise in your unwisdom until you know that his will is merciful or is mercy. So I'm going to read now in Luke 6, starting here in verse 36, the same thought that Jesus is again sharing in this passage. But he starts it off with the title of my message, interestingly, where he says, Therefore... Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not perceive the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men don't gather figs from thorns. They don't gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. What's he saying here? If you and I understand 
that God's will is mercy and that he had mercy on us. If we really understand that, namely through the gospel, namely through what he did for us on the cross, if that's real to you and I, if we really understand our own sin condemned us, our own sin was a death sentence. There was no hope for us. There was no way out. We were doomed. And while we were utter rebels, by nature, children of wrath, when we were his enemies, God sent his son Jesus. God died took our sins, died in our place, as Josh said. He bore our sins on the cross. He had mercy on us. He expressed the Father's heart when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The light of the gospel. I'm guilty. It's right for me to be thrown in prison, to be separated from God for all eternity. I'm a rebel. But God had mercy on me. And I was the chief of sinners. But he had mercy on me. That's what happens when we encounter the cross in the right way. So when we understand that, there's evidence in our lives, especially how we treat other people. The key is how we heard the gospel, how we listened, how we received the truth of God's word. What did we do with the mercy that he extended to us? See, there should always be increase. And that's when Jesus talks about fruit, that's what he's talking about. God is expecting something. From what he has planted in the human soul, in the human heart. So we get a little illustration of this in Mark chapter 4. Where we have the parable of the soils, right? Where he says in verse 3, and he starts it off, listen. Later on he says, take heed how you hear. This is important what I'm, I'm telling you. I'm showing you how the kingdom of God works. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed. Some fell on the wayside, and the birds came. Uh, birds of the air came, and they devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it didn't have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up. They choked it. It yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground. It yielded a crop that sprang up. It increased. It produced something. Some 30, some 60, some 100. He said to them then, So he who has ears, let him hear what I'm saying. Of course, his disciples didn't know what he was talking about as usual. And they, when he was alone, they asked him, basically, Lord, what are you talking about? And he says, uh, verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower is the word. It's the word of God. It's the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately, takes the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, they hear it with gladness, but it takes no root in their life. And they, say only, they only endure for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation, when persecution, for the word's sake comes, immediately they stumble. These are the ones sown by the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world 
deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. They enter in, they choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. And that ground is the heart. It's the soil of the heart. It's a heart that's been broken. It's a heart that's found godly sorrow, repented of their sins, and the Word of God has gone deep and it's taken root and it's producing something. He goes on. He says... Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which would not be revealed, nor is anything but kept secret that it should not come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He says it again. Then he said, take heed to how you hear. It's very important how we hear. And then he said again, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by dead and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, but the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So that farmer expects something in return. He's teaching us something about the kingdom of God. Then he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed. When it's sown in the ground, it's smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up. It becomes greater than all the herbs. It shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may rest or nest under its shade. Increase. Increase. The truth of God's word is producing something in the heart of that person. God expects increase in what he has sown into our hearts. Psalm 18.25 says, With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. With the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty looks. Matthew 5, 7, we looked at this way early on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And then in James chapter 2, in verse 13, it says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and someone says, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe. And tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, faith without works is dead. He's really dealing with outward religion here. He's really dealing with people that either have lost sight or never been truly broken over their sins. 
and had the truth, the gospel, the light of the cross pierce their hearts to where it went deep and it took root and it totally affected and changed the course of their life. And someone who was selfish and prideful and was all about me now understands. I'm like Paul. I'm the worst of the worst. I'm the chief of sinners, but God had mercy on me. And he's compelled through life by the love of God, by the reality of what God did for him. And it's a joy for him to have his life poured out for other people, to give the mercy that God's given to him. It's a natural outworking. You don't have to question whether or not the gospel has truly pierced that man's heart. It's evidenced. And that's what James is getting at. We're not saved by works, but works are evidence that we've been saved. That's all he's getting at. So, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? We're back to verse 3 here. But don't consider the plank. And the plank, really, the main plank he's talking about, your own righteousness. What you believe about yourself. What I believe about myself. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? Look, a plank is in your own eye. You know, he's saying, in effect, you, you act like you're so concerned about the truth, but really you're not. You're just a fault finder. You like finding the fault in other people. You should be judging yourself. Is really what he's saying. But you don't judge yourself. Therefore, you're really not interested in the truth. If a man claims that his only interest is in righteousness and truth, who did that more than the Pharisees? Right? But yes, they were the most unmerciful people on the planet. Self-righteousness is horrible. It's, it's one of the hideous forms of pride there is. And it's in all of us in some form especially when we compare ourselves to others. You know, like the Pharisee in the public, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And we've lost sight of we were that guy. And we'll always be that guy before God. But he had mercy on me. He heard me and I went home justified. Not like the Pharisee who trusted in his own righteousness. Thank God he wasn't like other people, like these sinners. No, God had mercy on me. Because I just beat my breast. I, I was in the reality of what I was before a holy God. But yet, he clothed me with his righteousness. He covered my shame. He made me righteous. His own righteousness. That's all I'll ever have. I have nothing else to stand on. My only hope is the blood of Christ. And I want to live in that daily and moment by moment. And if I do, I'll be a little more compassionate and merciful to others. You can't help someone else when you're blinded by the beam in your own eye. We can't. If you really want to help other people, if you really want to help them with their blemishes, their faults, their frailties, their imperfections, first of all, realize that your spirit, your whole attitude is wrong. There's something very wrong in your heart, in my heart. And now he says, in verse 5, hypocrite. Again, Jesus uses some strong words. Hypocrite, which really just means you religious actor. Someone who professes to be something he's not. That's all it means. Namely, a true Christian. He's unmasking the religious actor. That's what he's doing. 
who shows the hidden hypocrisy covered with the garb of external religion, you know. I know how to talk right. You know, I was one of those guys. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. God is good. Amen, brother. And we look at all the things we do and things we don't do, and we're not like those people, and, and we're very proud of our righteousness. And Jesus unmasks it. He says to the hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The fact or the matter is that we're really not concerned about helping that person. We're only interested in condemning him. I hear that sometimes when I hear, I mean, we do it with other Christians, but I especially hear it a lot of times when maybe people go home to visit their family or whatever, and they'll go, oh, I was at my family. Oh, I can't take it. Oh, that's so worldly. And I'm like, uh, have you forgotten? You know, I... I'll go visit family and every other word out of their mouth is the F word. This is normal conversation. I'm not sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm like, no, I used to talk just like that. God, let me be a light while I'm here. Let me be a blessing. Let them see something. You know, and I've done that. And at the end, on the side, someone will come to me and say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Because through all that stuff, just like us, they're hurting, they're depressed, they're hopeless, and they see something because they knew what I was. And they're like, this guy, he's not who we used to know. He was a drug addict. He was suicidal. He was an angry drunk. Seems so peaceful now. He's always smiling. What happened? Get the plank out. Again, many times our own self-righteousness. And there's really only way, one way to do that. You start with your own spirit. You face yourself very honestly. And you get over the word of God. Because the Word of God, Hebrews 4 tells us, is living and active. It's able to judge the heart, even the intents and thoughts. And so this is how we get in our rightful place, or I should say in our right mind. I've said this many times. Without the Word of God, I, I go insane. This is my sanity. This helps me to see right. So we've been going over the Sermon on the Mount. In our marriage book, when we're working with couples... That's like one of the first things we have them do. Because in marriage counseling, it's always finger pointing. It's always, well, let me tell you what they're doing. Or let me tell you what she's doing, what he's doing. And, and we go around the mountain of finger pointing. Well, if they would just do this, we wouldn't have all these problems. Well, if she would just blah, 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 we'd have peace in our home. Well, if they would just, and it goes on and on. I said that, hey, you want to do that? You want to go around that mountain? You'll be going around that for the rest of your life. So the book starts off with things like having them go through the Sermon on the Mount and rating themselves on how they're doing with all Jesus says in there. Things like, do I mourn over my sin? When I sin, is there godly sorrow? Am I grieved? Does it lead to repentance and change in my life? Am I merciful? Do I exhibit a spirit of forgiveness when I'm sinned against? Do I seek to be at peace with all men without compromising my convictions? Do I make peace when it's in my power to do so? Does my life illuminate the truth about God and man before others? Do people see my good works, the fruit of the Spirit? Do they glorify God because of how I live? Is my righteousness merely external like the Pharisees instead of coming from my heart? 
Am I angry with my brother? Am I guilty of calling others names, criticizing, wrongly accusing others? Do I take revenge by my words or actions, even subtly? Am I failing to love them aggressively, not merely tolerating them? It goes on and on and on. Or get over 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 13. Go through. We have a love test we do too in the book. Do the love test. How am I doing? There's one in there that I try to practice all the time. It helps me with judging or being rash about judgment. And it's love believes all things. In other words, I believe the best until proven otherwise by evidence and facts. I, I choose to believe the best. Because I've been wrong a lot. Get over the word of God. Get over the sermon on Mount. Ask yourself, how am I doing? That's how we get the plank out of our own eye. That's what gets our eyes back to where they need to be on Jesus. And Jesus crucified for me. For you. Then once that plank is out... In other words, you're in your rightful place before God. Another thing we use in marriage counseling is a conference table. Typically, couples argue instead of solving problems because of this finger pointing. So one of the rules is before you even talk, you get before God, you get before God, and you pray and you get your heart right with God, and you ask God to show you where you're wrong. Forget about what they did. And when you come back together, be prepared to repent of any wrongdoings or any attitudes, anything God has shown you in your own heart. Get the plank out. Then maybe we can get the speck out of the other's eye. You know the eye, there's no other organ like the eye. It's so sensitive. Just go like that with your finger and try to touch it. Very sensitive. Delicate. What you require above everything else in dealing with it is sympathy, patience, and gentleness. That's what required, is required because of the delicacy. I got stuck in my eye with a tree branch one time. I was riding on the lawnmower and it just stuck in my eye. It ripped my white part of the eye. I thought my eyeball was gone. That's what it felt like. But even you get, you ever just get a little thing in your eye and it drives you crazy? It's amazing, right? Well, we need help sometimes. Do you want the doctor to go in there? All right, let me see, with a big metal thing and dig it out of your eye? No, no, be careful. <laughs> right? Well, how delicate is a soul? Souls are, you know, I... This is one of the things for me as a pastor in fear and trembling that God's given me the responsibility with souls. And I have to be careful. I have to constantly be checking my own heart. I don't like confrontation. I hate having to go someone and, you know, confront them or exhort or convince or rebuke. I don't enjoy it. And I know if I don't pray and if I don't have a tear, if I'm not in the reality of their need instead of what I'd like to see, I got to pray until I am. Because I don't want to hurt when there's healing that's needed. There's only one thing that matters is that we be humble, sympathetic, always conscious, conscious of our own sin. Always. That's the key. Far from condemning. In other words, like I said, you feel like weeping over their condition. If you're not there, do not go to that person. You're not ready to confront someone. You're not ready to help someone. 
the whole point Jesus is making here, be very careful what spirit you're in when you're helping other people. We don't want to damage, right? We want to bring healing. I'm going to end with this. In that other passage I read, Jesus said, Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's really what he's been getting at in this whole few verses here about judging. And as I was praying this morning, as I was even sitting here this morning as we were worshiping, God was reminding me of all the times he's had mercy on me. And he was also reminding me of the people he put into my life to speak truth into my life. And maybe it wasn't always how I would have liked it. Um, But what I saw was, what I was reminded of, I never felt condemned. I always knew God loved me and he really was just wanting to give me mercy. Give me what I really needed. And really my uh, part in it was simply to just humble myself and receive what he was trying to give me. So I don't know, there's going to be different categories in here today. Maybe there's some in here, you've been the Pharisee. Maybe you're just thinking, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your kids. Maybe with family, maybe with people at work. You just just had that, you've been in the wrong spirit. Well, there's a warning we saw about that. And it really means that we need to get our hearts right. We need to remember, if we ever did, the mercy that God had on us. And we need to repent of not extending that mercy to others. We need to do what the Pharisees should have done. Jesus loved the Pharisees. Even though he was was a little harsh or hard with them, blunt, but he loved them. And he wanted to give them mercy just as much as the, the woman caught in adultery. But spiritual pride is very hard to penetrate. But it's not too hard for God if you'll just humble yourself. You'll ask God, God, help me. Remind me, God, of what I am without you. And it doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or you grew up a drug addict. We're all the same before God. We're all filthy sinners. Our best righteousness is like a filthy rag. Let God make that real to you. And just simply repent and ask him to forgive you of your judging, critical, condemning spirit. That's one group. The other group are those maybe that have always been or felt like you're condemned because you know you're a sinner. (laughs) But you don't see God's mercy and forgiveness. That was me. I felt like I had gone too far. I felt like there was no hope for me. I needed a revelation of God's mercy that he didn't want to condemn me. That he was offering me mercy. But I, I had to simply acknowledge my sin, acknowledge what I had done, my, my sins, you know, I had to be specific. And I had to simply turn and have faith that he could forgive me, that he could cleanse me, and that I could be changed. So I want to make an offer, two offers this morning, because it's very real to me. First and foremost, 
we need to live in the way Jesus prayed for us in John 17, in love towards one another. That's really where this is getting at. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Love one another as I have loved you. So it starts with us. It starts in the body. That's how the world's going to know. Not when we're around other people and talking about church people. No, when they see how we love one another, how we bear one another's burdens, how when we cover a multitude of sins by love. In other words, sometimes it's okay to overlook things. As long as it's not blatant sin or rebellion against God. Sometimes we just need to bear one another. And usually when we get the plank out of our own eye, we're like, oh, that was just me. Oh, that's just their personality. Oh, I was wrong. So it starts here with us. Then your marriage, your home. Actually, it should be first there if you're married and have children. How are your children going to know? How your other family's going to know? Your, your family members going to know? If you're not walking in love towards one another, how's there going to be peace and unity in your home? If you're constantly pointing out the specks. So maybe there's some here that need to get right in that area. I don't know. But what I want to do, I'm going to ask Josh to come up. And I just want to take some time with this because we're going to see as we go through this chapter this is a serious matter especially when we get to the end I mean I never knew you Jesus says why because we were rebels we didn't bear fruit in our lives the word of God didn't do what it should have in our lives we need revival in the church we need a move of God in the church. This is how it starts when all of us get in our rightful place before the Lord. And this is one of those areas where we, we're all, we, I can put myself in, in one of those categories. So I don't know if I should do an altar call or if we just need to take time and just... Get things right with the Lord. But if you feel like you need to come down here publicly, whichever way he spoke to you today, let's take some time. Let's get before God. Let's take heed how we heard this morning. Let's respond to him. Let's resolve that things are going to be different. I'm going to let God deal with me. I'm going to let God judge the things out of me that needs to be judged out. I want my life to exemplify him. I want to walk as he walked. I want to be able to give out the mercy he's been giving me. I want to be a light in this dark hour. So Lord, I just pray right now for all of us. Lord, that self-righteous spirit's in my heart. We need a sight of the cross again. We need a fresh vision of Calvary. We need to be reminded of the mercy you did to us there. So God, make that real right now, Lord. Break through stubborn hearts. Break through a self-righteous spirit. Lord, help those that maybe just feel unworthy. Maybe they're like that tax collector, Lord. They, oh, they inside, they're beating their breasts, but Lord, they don't understand. You want to justify them. You don't, you're not condemning them, Lord. You're convicting them because you want them to come to you. You want them to have eternal life. You don't want them to perish. You want to give them mercy. Lord, I pray you would draw them this morning. Bring them to a place, Lord, of godly sorrow, Lord, where they see, they understand, yes, I've sinned against a holy God. I'm guilty. 
God, have mercy on me. And Lord, I pray you will open up their understanding to know the love of Christ. Unveil the cross to them. Let them know there's a throne of mercy today, Lord. They can come. They can be washed. They can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. You want to cover their shame. You want to dine and sup with them. You want to come and share your life with them. God, I pray as you're knocking, they would open the door this morning and come to you, Lord. Anyone here this morning, you're out on the outside. God's not in your life the way he wants to be. He's calling you this morning to simply repent, to simply ask you, him to wash you and to cleanse you and to take control of your life. Anyone here, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. The Holy Spirit, you feel him drawing you. Come to his throne of grace this morning. His desire is mercy. So, Lord, I thank you this morning. I pray for all of us, Lord. Help us to be merciful as you are merciful. Get that judging, condemning, self-righteous spirit out of us out of this body, Lord. Help us to walk in love. Do a work in us, Lord. Have your way in us, God. Bring us all to the foot of the cross so that you can be glorified, so that people will be drawn to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord.